So it is, uh, I, I love, I, I get to come here every night and just tell you how wonderful Jesus is. It is an awesome gig. Uh, I love it. I love it uh, so much. And this is my favorite story. I, I don't know if you're supposed to say that, but I, but I did. Like, it's my favorite story in the Bible. I don't know. This is the one that I, it just has left an imprint on me that is just permanent. And it is Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. We'll read from chapter, from verse 21, and we will stop at verse 34. When Jesus had again crossed over by, the bo- by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came, seeing Jesus, He fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, She grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It's God's word. Let me pray for us real quick. Lord, I just ask that you would help help us concentrate and see Jesus. That our eyes would be open, our hearts would be open, that we would cherish him and that you would just bless us all with how wonderful he is. And good he is. And it's his name we pray. Amen. So Christ, Jesus Christ's first sermon in Nazareth was from the book of Isaiah. It's a very famous story in Luke chapter 4. So he goes and takes a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, and he, he rolls it out. And he reads it. And the passage says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set at liberty those who are captive, 
release from bondage for the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And what he's in that moment, what he's doing there is he's he's giving you the essence of who he is and his entire ministry. And one of the things that's so wonderful about that passage is that the word anointed is the word for Christ. It's the same word. Christ means anointed, the anointed one. That's the Messiah, the one that he's anointed in the sense that he, he had the anointment that was someone who had it flowing down. There's pictures in the Old Testament, flowing down the beard. The anointed one. Here's literally what, what Jesus is saying about himself. The Lord has Christed me to preach good news to the poor and to release those who are captive. In other words, I'm Christ for this exact reason. You see that? And that is the essence of who Jesus Christ is. And so what do we do when we get to this passage? Look at him doing his thing. And so we're going to look at three things tonight. The anointed one, right? We're first going to see a woman of shame. Point one, a woman of shame. Second, a woman of shame. Second point, trusting Christ. Woman of shame, trusting Christ, so what? Woman of shame, trusting Christ, so what? All right. It's a fascinating story. The woman of shame, she is the oppressed. She's exactly who Jesus came for. That's why all this is happening. This is his... This is the point of his ministry. And notice it says she had heard about Jesus. What did she hear? Well, she heard things like what he said about himself in Matthew chapter 11. We looked at last night. That he's gentle and humble of heart. That he is sovereign. That he's revealed the Father. She's heard that, that, that he's doing wonderful things, powerful things for people that are just like her. She's heard that he's kind. She's heard that he's doing something brand new and that is bigger and better and stronger and revolutionary and the, 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 the powers that be can't stand it because he's bursting the old wineskins. She's hearing all this stuff. It's just a gossip all around. And so here Jesus is walking through this town. He's walking through this town. There's a huge crowd around him. And there's this woman, and she's in the shadows. And we know she's been in the shadows for at least 12 years. She has a bleeding. If you've studied this story or preached, taught this story, you know this. She has a bleeding, and her condition, we don't know the specifics of that condition, but this, to have a bleeding would have made her ceremonially unclean which means that she could have no part in the synagogue for 12 years, which means she could have no contact, physical contact, with anyone unless they were to become unclean themselves. 
we would have known after 12 years of bleeding, she would have probably been anemic. She would have been san- a, 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 she would have been so unclean, not only ceremonially, but she would have been an unclean person in the first century, not in community, with not modern health care. She would have been a picture of shame. And here's, here's, here's the one thing that makes it even worse. Everywhere she went, if she was ever in a crowd, she would have had to say unclean. She would have been announced unclean so that people would stay out of the way of her. Just, just how imagine just for a second. Imagine if, if everywhere you went, you would say unclean. I'm, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. You know, we don't do that. We don't say that. That's not part of our culture. It's not part of what we do. But haven't you felt like that when you walk into a room of people? Have you ever felt like that? Like, I'm so, so unclean. I just feel so, so much Sadness for this woman. Think about it. No family, no friends, no community, no common worship, no connection in any way, shape, or form. And you have to live with yourself. And, and not just that, she has she's getting, she spent all her money to make herself clean again. But it's only made it worse. She's tried and tried. This is, the, this is what's so sad about it. This is what draws it out, is that she's trying so hard to get back to the world. She's like, I'll see this doctor. I want to be, I don't, I want to go home. I want to be somebody. I want to be, do you see that there's something so pathetic about it? And then she hears that Jesus is coming through and she's heard about him. And here he is walking through town. And she says to herself, if I can just touch him, then I'll be clean. And this sounds like the Hail Mary of Hail Marys I've ever seen in my life, right? Like it's like, if I could just get, if I could just touch his something, if I could just get close to him, if I could just touch the shoe, if I could just touch his sandal, if I could just do something, then surely maybe this is the one. I'll try anything. This is, maybe if I just touch him, I'll become, maybe he'll heal me. And so he's walking through the crowd. And then she is like a little kitten. She scurries up behind Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something. This is very different than what Jairus did. Jairus goes to Jesus. He falls down, but he goes to the face of Jesus and says, I need you to heal my daughter. But this woman would never, ever pretend that she had any access to a rabbi. So she scurries up in the shadows behind, and then she touches the hem of his garment. And that would have been the, the lowest point. But like he had a robe, an outer garment. It would have been the lowest point. And she just touches this, just touches the corner of it. And Mark tells us that immediately 
the blood flow stops. What has that been like? <laughs> you're, those of us who have chronic problems, physical problems, you just learn to live with those things. What would it have been like? What a wonderful shock it would have been to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm literally healed right now. And then she goes back into the shadows. Because that's the only thing she knows. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the captives and the poor, to release those, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But there's something that precedes that for all of us and for our students, the people that we work with. It is a realization of our uncleanness. I think of a funny story because I hate, I like preaching and like telling y'all, Jesus loves you and all that stuff like that. But it's really, really hard for people, like for people to see me and let people know me. That freaks me out. I'm better at it than I was 10 years ago. But it's a long, it's a, it's, I wasn't, I wasn't raised in an environment where I could not be okay. So I got really good at sort of looking okay for a long time. I'll just say that. And I remember one time a friend of mine, when I was, I was actually in Memphis, Tennessee, I was the pastor of this church. I was scared to death. I was overwhelmed. And I would go on these long runs with this guy, this friend of mine. We would go on runs 15 miles or something, just jog. And I would be just helping him out, just telling him about it. He would ask me questions, theological questions. I'd be like, yes, yes. Just so, you know, I was just a pastor. And so, like, and, and, and one day he said, hey, can I, can, I, can I meet you in your office someday this afternoon? I was like, oh, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Concerning, right? What, what do you mean? You're just going to, can, can we meet? I, I just want to, I want to talk. I want to just talk to you. He's like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The whole day I was like, oh, oh gosh, what is this? This is ominous. And so he sits in my office, in my office with my big desk that I could hide behind. And he said, I don't know how to be friends with you. I mean, I feel like I know, you know all this stuff about me. Does anyone know you? And y'all, literally, I said, I was frozen. And I said, I don't have conversations like this. That's what I said. <laughs> Those are the only words I could get out. I don't have conversations like this. But y'all, it was the first time. I was probably 34 years old. It was the very first time in my life that I felt like someone was seeing me in the shadows. And it scared me to death, but it also was thrilling. And that's what the body of Christ does, and that's what Jesus does. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor. I have been Christed for the shadow people. That's who this woman is. Now let's look what it looks like for her to, 
to lean. When I say trust Jesus, I mean just to begin to lean into Jesus. Because that's a, that's a good definition of trust. Just to lean into Jesus. Just lean. Let's just look at what Jesus does. First, he's awesome. First. And I mean awesome. A-W-E in like the right way of saying it. All we've We've destroyed the word all because we've overused it, right? All of us have. Because we call like pizza awesome. Pizza's delicious. Jesus is awesome. You know why? That's some serious juice. That someone touches the hem of your garment and is healed immediately. That is some crazy, eternal, celestial juice fire people i'm serious that is amazing boom that's a that's the king of the world that's what that is that's the one that looks at the storm and the waves and tells them to be quiet in there that's the one who has the man named Legion because he has thousands of demons inside of him. And he charges Jesus. He's running at Jesus, yelling at Jesus. And Jesus is like, Mm-mm. not scared at all. Just come out of him. That's who this is. So it's like, Big bird at the planetarium? That the one who made all the stars, the one who made everything, is the one who was Christed for the shadow people. And so part of you being here at RYM Leadership Training is for you and I, for us to be reminded once again that Christ is sufficient for you. And he is sufficient for your ministry. To be reminded and refreshed that Christ's power is enough, more than enough. And so what does Jesus do? He stops. And it's shocking that he stops. Why? He's on his way to heal a dead little girl of a very important person who's a leader of a synagogue. That would have been very good for business, the disciples are thinking, I'm sure. This is a great PR. If Jesus heals this guy's daughter, unbelievable. So let's go. This is great. That's what Jesus is going to do. But he stops. He stops on his way to like maybe the most important thing ever, to heal someone's dying daughter. He must really want to stop. The Spirit of the Lord has Christed me for the shadow people. He stops. He said, who touched me? Someone touch me. Someone touch my clothes. And the disciples are going like, what in the world, man? Everyone's touching you. Everyone's touching you. He doesn't, he doesn't even pay any attention to that. Apparently, he just says like, he keeps, he says he continues to do it. And so imagine this for like, even if it's two minutes or three minutes, out of the middle of the road, like, where are you? You touch my clothes. Where are you? Someone touch my clothes. Think think if it was five minutes. That's a long time to be asking out loud, who touched my clothes? 
Meanwhile, the little girl's dying. Who touched my clothes? She's hearing it. Can you imagine? I wonder how her heart must have been racing. Because if she touched a rabbi's clothes, then the rabbi's unclean. They, they cross the other side of the street to get away from someone like her. She's cursed. Who touched my clothes? You know what it is. Tell me, th- this has got to be, this is a replaying of the Garden of Eden. Where are you? Why are you hiding? Where are you? Isn't that the question God's always asking? Where are you? He's not, here's the thing, he's not asking those kind of questions because he doesn't know. He just healed her with his shoelace, people. He's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking because he wants her to know she's hiding. Where are you? And that's what like little retreats like this can be. A moment we can kind of stop these weekends, can kind of, these weeks, can we can kind of stop and God can ask us those questions. Where are you? Where are you? And then finally, it says she's trembling. Mark says she's trembling. And she falls down before Jesus. And she tells him everything. She tells him what she did. She tells him who she is. She says, this is who I am. I did all these things. And Jesus says the most wonderful thing I think he could possibly say. Because the Spirit anointed him. He is Christ for the shadow people. He says, daughter. It's the only time he uses that word in the entire Gospel of Mark. That's why he stopped. That's why he sat there and said, where are you? Where are you? In other words... God surprises us because he says things to us and about us that are the opposite of what we expect him to say to us and about us. It's a a father throwing a party when when the son should be punished, Luke 15, the prodigal son. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. See, Satan is always going, you are worthless, and that is the nature of shame. The nature of shame is is a storyteller. And we have an enemy who is always trying to reinforce that story that we're also telling about ourselves. That shame, as Kirk Thompson said, is developmental and it grows with us. It's attendant and it's a story telling us that we are worthless. And that we're not enough. And we learn to live with it. And we carry it around and we feel unclean and we feel unworthy. And it's like part of our spinal column. And so why does the Son of God stop on the way to heal a dying girl? Is because he came for her daughter. He's telling her who she really is. He gives her her name back. It's what love does. Gives your name back. That's who Jesus is. Y'all, that's who our God is. 
So what? He wants her to relate to him from now on and relate to God as daughter, not as a shadow person anymore. Because daughters come to the Father. Even though, think about it, even though that's going to be a long process for her to get okay with that, a lot of things that she's not just going to be like, oh, okay, I'm totally okay with that. She's still going to like struggle. She's going to have one foot in the shadow and one foot in the light, and it's always going to feel like walking over broken glass to trust the Father. And that, I get that. Do you get that? That's okay. But generally, over time, little by little, we begin to lean into our true identity. You become like a daughter, a son with the father. And this is what daughters are like. When my daughter, who's 15 now, when she was a little girl, like, she told, when you say daddy's girl, daddy's girl, all caps, right? She just loved me so much. She would just make up songs about me. Just weird little songs about how much she loved her dad. She's called me every different name. Her, her, her name she used to call me was Popsas. Popsas. And she gets mad if anyone else would call me Popsas. She's like, that's my name for dad. That's how much like she loved me. And that was hard because I, I, I didn't know how to receive love. And so my kids have helped. They've taught me. And so when I would go out of town, do something like this, or I'd be in town just maybe even 36, 48 hours, I'd be gone very long, she would make me a poster. And, and, and on the door of our garage, the poster would say, like, welcome home, Dad. And she would like a picture of a piece of pizza, because I love pizza, a picture of, like, a guitar, because I like playing guitar, a picture of, like, baseball, just different things that she had made with these markers. Welcome home, Dad. And then when I walked in the door, she would jump. And this leg would go this way, this leg would go this way, and the arm would just go around me, and she would just kiss me, just kiss me. And I'd be gone for like two days. It was overwhelming. That's a daughter who knows her father loves her. Daughter. So God's calling us. Move toward him. When Satan tempts me to despair. But as Luther said, faith is a living, daring trust where you say no and tells me of the guilt within upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. My father has declared me righteous because in the second person of the Trinity, the one who was Christed for the shadow people, the one who laid down his life, I am as righteous as the second person of the Trinity. And I am totally jacked up and perverted and sinful with a history. And I am as righteous as the second person of the Trinity. As both of those things are true. And so as we lean into the true story, when Jesus Christ says son or daughter over you, no one gets to counter that. That's the so what. You know what else it means? Yo, this is the heart of the mission of God. Ministry's confusing, isn't it? It's so easy to get like off track from ministry. And once you just get a couple of clicks, you're like in weird spots. What am I doing? What is this? And so stories like this 
keep it focused on. Christ came here for this stuff. This is what this is what God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are doing and want to do in your ministry of two, of twenty, or two hundred. And he loves each individual one. That's what he's wanting to do. In fact, he's wanting, he's almost like busting out of us to do that. And it's his, his spirit that is working through us, the same spirit that anointed Christ to do that then fills us to do the exact same thing. Because what God is going to do with the whole cosmos, the whole cosmos is exactly what he did to this woman in this town. His power is going to flood the cosmos and all uncleanness and all brokenness and all shame. The lights come on and all the shadows disappear. And we're just getting in the river, y'all. That's what God's doing. So, like, Richie, I, I'm just like, I've got all these problems, and I'm like, you know, I've got all these things. And, like, I know. But as, but as God meets you in your uncleanness, as God finds you out of the shadows, y'all, that's what propels you for, toward the shadow people. That's the exact thing. So, like, wait, I've got a lot of problems. Well, cheer up. This is how you get to love Jesus more. What? Where do I get all these problems? Well, then you don't need Jesus. That sucks. And I'll close with this. He says your faith has made you well. There's a lot of confusion about what faith is, isn't there? What is faith? And it is so easy to turn faith into a work. You don't believe enough. I know our students are confused about what faith is. Is faith sincerity? Is it faith something I do? Like, I know God's grace is. What is faith? You know what faith is? Faith is, in the words of Martin Luther, faith is the ground that receives the rain. Faith is your needing Jesus. Faith is the experience of your hunger, which eats the bread of life. Faith is the experience of your soul thirst, which drinks the living water. Faith is the experience of your inner darkness, which, which experiences the light of the world. Faith is the thing that clears the way and receives the gift of the, the anointed one. Or in Horatius Bonner's words, I love this. He says, faith is nothing. Christ is everything. Faith is not the cross. Faith is not the blood. Faith receives a work. Faith doesn't do work. Faith receives the work. And so I really, this is a rediscovery of what it means to receive, to receive the work of Jesus Christ. Because let's think about her faith, y'all, for a second. It's not impressive. It is like little bitty, tiny, weird, kitty cat faith sneaking up in a crowd, touching the hem of his garment, just touching the corner of his thing. And he says, your faith has made you well. What an awesome Savior Jesus is. He commits her faith, and it's ridiculous faith. But you know what it was? It's touching him. When you and I touch Jesus, we're home. Home. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this privilege, this opportunity 
to preach this word, to tell this story that has been told so many times. Bless us as we, as we hear it. Help us just open our hands and receive this and be transformed by it, that your spirit would flow through us in the lives of other people in the shadows. In Jesus' name, amen.